You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, This isn't something you want to read in the newspaper, uh, and I just did. And it's a quote. He twisted the scrotum repeatedly until it broke. Then he took the testicles and hurled them from the window. There were two guys, Germans. Germans. Of course they were Germans. They were both shit-faced drunk. One was fondling the other who wasn't responding adequately in time. And so he tore his testicles off. Um they were drunk. That doesn't make it right, you know, but ouch. Torn off testicles landed on a roof uh, across the street in the snow. They were later retrieved. The story doesn't mention any attempts to reattach them. Just wanted to make a little public service announcement. Remember, friends don't let friends tear off testicles drunk. But the more important news story of the week is perhaps you remember high school principal Austin Couch, the principal of Churubusco or Churubosco High School. In Indiana, there were a couple of girls. They took some pictures at a sleepover, posted them to their private MySpace account that only their friends could see. Uh, they were goofing around, sophomores in high school, athletes. Uh, apparently, a couple of pictures, they were licking a phallic popsicle or sucker. And in a couple, they were wearing lingerie. And they turned them in. Somebody turned these photos into the principal who suspended the girls for the entire year from the athletic program and then told them he would reduce their sentence by 25% if they went before the entire athletic staff of the school, all creepy old men, and apologized as if they had done something wrong to these dudes. Well, the ACLU, God bless them, is suing the high school for infringing uh, the girls' rights to do whatever the fuck they want to on their own time, on their own private fucking MySpace page. And the school has responded to the lawsuit and says it didn't violate the students' free speech by disciplining them over the racy MySpace pictures because the photos were obscene and the behavior the girls demonstrated, taking these pictures of themselves and putting them on the web, constituted the behavior of potential child pornographers. That if the school didn't move in and nip this in the bud and persecute these girls and terrorize them, that they would grow up to be, as so many female high school athletes do, to become child pornographers. But if you look at a couple of girls who took a couple of dirty pictures of themselves at a party and put them on a private password-protected website, and you look at that and you go, potential future child pornographers, I think you're telling us something about yourself, frankly. Less about the girls. Speaking of girls, how's that for a segue to Tech Savvy at Risk? You'd like it. Joining us on the podcast today, again for a second time, I am so thrilled. My old partner in crime when we were on the airwaves instead of the Pop net waves. waves, Mary Martone. Hi, Dan. Hey, Mary. Hi, Dan. I'm so happy to be here. It's so good to have you. That's what everybody says. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think of this uh, potential future child pornographers running around? I rampant? feel like it's just waiting for um, some episode of TV to rip it from the headlines and turn it into an episode because I feel like I've seen this played out over and over again where kids get accused of creating pornography for putting up pictures of themselves when really what they should be accused of is being dumb fucks because it's going to show up in a job interview 10 years from now. Ah, there's nothing dumb fuck you I'm about just it. saying that's, that's the problem is you're going to have a hard time when you interview for a job with, you know, 
These pictures some big corp- some big corporation. But your problem is not that you're a future child pornographer. This is not the issue. So, butt the hell out. Sensible advice from Mary Martone. As per usual. As per usual. She and I used to host Savage Love Live when it was on KPS, CMU, XP, whatever it was. Yes. Uh, a million years ago. I still hear from people by email almost every day to this day talking about listening to our Aww. show under the covers at night where their parents couldn't hear them and how much they miss it. And whenever you're in Seattle, Mary doesn't live here anymore. Otherwise, she'd be on the podcast every week. It's true. Whenever she's in Seattle, we like to drag her in and make her take your calls. And it's an honor. Just just quickly, um, for those folks out there who are not familiar with you or your work or your persona, you are a lesbian. Indeed, I am. So you're totally down with the whole tearing the testicles off and throwing them out the window thing. Oh, yeah. You didn't even flinch when I was reading I that. didn't flinch because I support that because, you know, I'm a man-hater and it's just actually in the contract I, that I signed. I signed it in the 80s. I mean, Watch it's been out, addended. Boy, she'll it's been tear them off. She's a man-hater. Man-hater. Actually, the thing that resonated for me the most when I heard that story was that the testicles landed in the snow. And I thought, awesome. It could only have been better if they landed in a glass of milk because those are the things that they always tell you to do if, like, a tooth falls out when you're playing a sport or, you know, your finger gets chopped off in some heinous accident. You're supposed to throw it in a glass of milk or put it in some snow and bring it to the doctor. So if they landed in the snow, they were ripe for reattachment. So I can only hope that they took the opportunity. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit AdamandEve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm a 39-year-old hetero male. I've been with my wife for 16 years or so, married for the last seven of those. Uh, We have a four-year-old and another kid on the way. I'm a part-time stay-at-home dad, and I work uh, the other part of the time. It seems like most of the advice out there about quote-unquote spicing things up in the bedroom are based on the assumption that there will be an effort on the part of both parties. However, I'm wondering if there's anything a guy can do to enhance his own special, own sexual experience if his partner is unwilling to make any changes. I'm starting to lose interest in the boring and infrequent married sex I have. Uh, I used to be simply grateful for whatever I got, but now a lot of the time I feel like I'd rather just wait and masturbate later. I don't have trouble getting it out, but I'm wondering what something like Viagra would do for me. Does it enhance sex in any way, or does it just give you a boner? Uh, My other questions are about non-monogamy, namely uh, how in the heck do I arrange a friends with benefits type of arrangement? Letting me have sex with other people seems like it would be awfully sexually generous uh, for someone who's always been, I guess I would would call her selfish, Uh, sex has always been on her terms. How can I expect my wife to sympathize with my sexual desperation when she has no sexual fantasies whatsoever and doesn't even masturbate? Uh, any conversation about sex that I try to bring up quickly turns into weepy defensiveness. My wife seems to generally think that things are pretty good. What's felt like a long and increasingly rapid decline to me, she says, uh, is the normal peaks and valleys of any sex life. Would it be a bad idea to write the wife a letter? Instinctively, I feel like it might be a bad idea to put in writing which, that you plan to seek sex with someone other than your legal spouse. But I don't know how else I could say everything I need to say about this. If I find a way to have a constructive conversation about this, most likely she'll say no. Although it's also possible that she'll give me permission but add so many restrictions that it can't happen. That's how it's gone with anal sex, a threesome, and any number of things. She's agreed to these things in theory, but only if 
certain near impossible conditions are met. And that way she gets to be GGG and open-minded without actually doing anything. Um, how can I make sure that I avoid an open relationship just being added to the list of things that she's agreed to, but not really? Bringing all of this up when my wife is six months pregnant would obviously be a dick move. Uh, plus, I live in hope that after this baby comes, there'll be some kind of hormonal shift that will make all these questions moot. Uh, but how long do I wait before broaching the subject? All right. First, I just want to jump in before Mary um, tears my testicles off with how important sexual compatibility is in a long-term relationship. People are always running me down when I say that you should always have premarital sex, that you should look for somebody that you have some degree of sexual compatibility with and some degree of you know mutual agreement about what's hot and what's not hot and what's allowed and what's not allowed. Or you're going to find yourself like this poor motherfucker trapped in a relationship that makes you miserable. And the whole world is going to tell you that you're the problem because you want to have that awful anal sex, because you want to have a three-way, because you want sex. And the person who wants sex is always the bad one, is always the bad guy in a situation like this. The whole culture will celebrate the wife for being an ungiving, selfish piece of shit. And so you're. T- I, I think he should cheat. I think he should just say... Never going to get any better. There's no way to talk to her about this. She wants it all on her own terms. I'm going to do what I have to do to stay sane, to stay in this relationship, to stay there for my kids, which means when opportunity presents itself, I'm going to take it. Cheat. I don't think he should cheat. But that doesn't mean I I hate being contradicted. I know. And that's what I'm here to do. It's my job. It's been my job (laughs) historically. And that is why I return to Seattle periodically just to give you a little snip snap over the cross the face with a glove. Um, No, but that doesn't mean I don't think he should be having sex with other people. I just think that cheating – the word cheating means not having that conversation he doesn't want to have with his wife or that he knows is going to go wrong. Maybe he has that conversation with his wife, tells her what she wants. She says, you can't do it or you can only do it on a blue moon every three years. And he says, that's not acceptable to me. And he says, I'll be having sex with those other people. I mean maybe that's how the conversation goes and I know that that's really hard. But she's going to impose – as she did with other fantasies of his, as she's tried to prune his – sexual desires and prune his sex life down into this little tiny bush that she can stomp and destroy. Where am I going with this metaphor? I don't know. She's going to say, oh, yeah, you can, you can have sex with other people under this condition, that condition, this condition, that condition, and again, create this elaborate set of conditions where the planets are never going to align. But then he says – I can't agree to that. I mean, that's the what you're saying is that the conversation is going to stop where it has historically, which is her saying, okay, but this and that. But then the next sentence has to be from him. That's not okay. I have to have this. I have to find some way that this is going to happen. And Or I won't be able to stay with you or, and raise your and fucking kids. The, and then the next sentence is our kids, not your kids. But I mean, and then the next sentence is, and if you can't deal with that, then we can't be together. And that may seem really hard and I can tell you it's breaking up when there are children involved is crappy and hard and it can be the best thing you do for the other person and for that relationship and for those children because raising them in misery is not a good thing to raise your children around. God, I hate monogamy sometimes. The, the longer I'm it's in this – It's a setup. I mean it, it's a real setup. The and, longer I'm in this role, unkind. the longer I'm in this job, you look at these long-term relationships where the impediment is this expectation – of lifelong sexual exclusivity. He could be much happier in this relationship if he was getting sort of normal, vanilla, boring, intimate, yes, we have a physical connection, sex with the wife, and then didn't feel so crushingly limited and didn't feel like the rest of his sort of uh, sexual 
life, inner life, inner erotic life weren't destroyed by this marriage, that she didn't symbolize the crushing of his sexual hopes and desires. I do want to step back, though. I mean, this has become like a, a very grand conversation about crushing, you know, of things, perhaps because of the way that this is Perhaps very, it's the conversation about the, 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 crushing the twisting testicles. and tearing off and throwing that, out that, the window into the ice-cold snow of his sexual inner life. Perhaps that set a tone for the conversation. <laughs> but I mean, there are things we can, we can back up and look at what this person's question is. And when I heard it, I didn't necessarily hear that it's been miserable the whole time. They've been together 16 years. They've been married 17 years. They've got a four-year-old. She's pregnant right now. Okay. Have you been miserable for 15 years or have you been miserable for five months? I bet he's been miserable for 16 years. I bet at the outset, he regarded his own desires as this thing that he could sublimate and contain because he loved her and wanted to be with her. And the culture told him that his desires were aberrant and, you know, that, and he should try to round herself down to her interests and her limitations and that would mean he was a good person and it's just like the pot's boiling over now. He, the, the pressure is built to this point that where he's true. going out of his mind. That may be true or he might be someone who's been feeling – I mean when you're depressed and things are hard and you're not getting it and you want to, four months is a real long time. Five months is a long time. Five years is a long time. I mean maybe things have been crappy and hard since they had the first kid because maybe you know four years ago or nine months before four years ago when the first kid was born, they never figured out how to have sex when they have a kid. Maybe they never figured out that the kid has to go away and stay with their grandparents sometime or maybe they – Boarding school, military school. I'm just saying four like year olds. There, there, are a bunch yeah, of diff- there are a bunch of different points along this line where things could have become sexually okay. grim. Another sort of grand – Another larger issue that he raises that I think is interesting is, you know, what do you do when you're unsatisfied with your sex life and you say, you know, for the sake and, uh, of being together and sexual activity and monogamy and your commitment, you need to work on your sex life together. And the other person will not do it, will not work on the sex life because they are not interested. What license does that give the person who wants to work, wants to find the solution, wants to find some middle ground where everybody's happy and the other person will not budge? What – License do you have if you are in that situation? I think you decide if it's a deal breaker. And see, I'm always – I think you have a different relationship with the idea of cheating. And so for me, I feel like you decide if it's a deal breaker first and you say, if you won't have sex with me, if you won't work on having sex with me and this is something that's really important to me, then we can't be together. And you say that. And then you see if that makes them cry and change their mind or you make them see if they go, well, then OK. And sometimes you say that and you think they're going to be destroyed and they say, you do what you need to do and I just don't want to know about it. There you it. go. So and then you have your permission Be slip. brave. Don't be a coward. If you really need it, tell that person and don't just, don't just say, I need it and then back down because you will continue to get nothing for the rest of your life. But tell her in six months. Yeah. Hey, Dan. Uh, my name's Peter. Calling like my girlfriend of a year um, has a big issue with the word fuck. And I don't mean it's kind of day-to-day use as a swear word, but fucking as a term for uh, for sex. Um, it's kind of a this. I mean, she can't really identify exactly why this is. I don't know if she, makes, she thinks it makes it uh, sound kind of dirty in some way. What's strange, I guess, is that she's a... Uh, it doesn't translate into her bedroom behavior, I guess is what I mean. She's she's not uh, a prudish lover. Um, so, I don't know. I was wondering if you might have any insights into why this could be. There's definitely some family stuff going on, I think. Um, her mother um, had an affair when she was quite young and ended up leaving her father. And uh, I wonder if that may have something to to do with it. 
uh, discomfort with kind of casual. Well, that's fucked up. (laughs) This is from the fucking non-fucking problem fucking file, don't you think? She doesn't like the word fuck. Don't use the word fuck. Hey, here's a thought. Bust out a different word. Bang. I banged her. Let's bang. Do it. Let's get it on. You can even sing that. Let's knock boots. (sighs) Who cares? I mean, if for some reason this is a word that slips out and he can't control himself, then, you know, whatever, but non-issue. Total non-issue. Amen. Make this Valentine's Day one that you'll both never forget with this offer from adamandeve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you will receive 50% off just about any item. Go to adamandeve.com to find thousands of adult entertainment products, including toys, lingerie, and DVDs. And there's more. With every order, you'll receive their romance kit free, including a toy for him, a special massager for her, and a little something you'll both enjoy. Plus a free adult DVD to put you in the mood and... That's not all. They will also throw in free shipping on your entire order. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special Valentine's Day offer. Good through February 14th only. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, and a free shipping. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special Valentine's offer. Good through February 14th only. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, and free shipping when you enter offer code SAVAGE, S-A-V-A-G-E. Hi, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old straight female. About nine nine months ago, my boyfriend and I decided to try being poly, and for the most part, it's been fine. However, a breakup between him and a girlfriend of his is causing some issues. This other woman and he had dated for about five months. They loved each other, but the situation is complicated at best. What resulted at the end of their relationship was a lot of arguing, crying, and all sorts of upset. My problem had always been not being able to find a way to help him when he's upset. I understand that I can't always fix things, and I'm okay with that, but it sucks nonetheless. Recently, I noticed that he has bouts of being upset, and I know that the breakup is the cause. He won't talk about it and lies about it, saying everything is fine, but it's obvious that nothing is fine right now. Last week, I found out he kept a live journal, and much to my regret, I read it. I found many entries about him stating that he is lying to everyone else to save them the groups being hurt. He talks at length about how sad and alone he is and about how he can never do better than her. This is where I start to regret finding his journal and reading it. I now feel doubt and resentment because I feel that I'm never going to measure up to this other person. I'm not good enough and he'll always want her more than he wants me. When I have brought this up, he tells me that this is not the case and that he loves me and that I've always been the one thing he's always sure of. Yet I still have all these doubts. Should I have these doubts? Are things he's saying just the throes of going through a rough breakup? Should I do my best to let him heal from it and take it as it comes? I'm telling myself that I won't go to his live journal, but now that I know the content's there, it's hard to resist the temptation just to look. Please give me some advice so I can put my mind at rest. All right, here's my advice. You need to twist his scrotum repeatedly until it breaks and then take those testicles and hurl them from the window into the snow. I think truer words were never said. (laughs) I I don't mean to laugh, but he's an emotionally sadistic asshole bastard if this is how he conducts himself in a poly relationship. Even if that's how he feels, you don't write about it in your live journal. If you're his first and primary partner, you don't. Write about it in a public forum about how sad you are that your one only true love, the woman you love more than anyone else, someone you can't do better than left you with your primary partner. What kind of asshole bullshit is that? Emotionally sadistic asshole bullshit. Break up with him. 
after you throw his testicles out the window into the snow. Into the snow. I guess there's a burning question I have, which is, is it a private journal? I mean, it's on, once something's online, it's public. But the feeling I'm getting is that he doesn't know she's reading the journal. And people keep journals under different names. So he may very well be keeping a journal for the reason that many people do, which is to get things off their chest, have communities that are not necessarily – well, then you keep there, a little diary with a squishy pink cover and a little lock. And a little fur one with a co- yeah. lock and key. You don't, I don't I mean, think it's, it's just like for that. you to express yourself privately. Like, you're writing to an audience of readers, to six billion potential readers, including your primary partner. Actually, if you're, if the primary could get in and see it, that means that it's a public journal. It means it's not locked because, so it's obviously public, so people have access to it. I think that's pretty cruel to say that. And, but I also feel like if she's reading this, and she's having feelings about it. She might want to tell him that she's You know what it. you know. However you found his live journal. Right. Now you know what you know and you can't Make pretend your that you don't know what you do know. And so you have to confront him about it. And I think you, for your own sanity, you have to break up with – this is like well, the he, Sanfords. This is like, oh, he, he my soulmate is this treat. bitch in Argentina and here's my wife with the four kids. We're going to try to patch it up. But my soulmate – like yeah. a relationship can't survive that kind of emotional infidelity. Well, also – I mean, she was saying, I think, that they've only been poly for a short period of time. And, I mean, what's, like, the biggest, most important thing that you have to do? Oh, I don't know. Tell the truth. Be transparent. Have some rules. Like, have it all laid out. Have good boundaries. Trust. And be respectful of each other around the whole process. And uh, I'm seeing a lack of respect, boundaries, rules, and all sorts of song and dance here. So, and there's a, I mean, it is a trip. It is a potential landmine. And when you when you have an open relationship, your poly relationship is watching your partner have a crush on somebody who just so happens not to be you. That can be tough. But that's not the same thing as this was my one true love. And saying it to other people because you can, might feel that in your heart, but you don't say that to other people. It's just – it seems like a bad set of rules and maybe a bad match. Testicles. Snow. Tear them off. Toss them out. Keep them frosty. Hi, Dan. Um, I've been having uh, this problem with this guy who goes to my college. I'm overweight and he has this huge dick about it. We met in class a year and a half ago. We started out civil, but then he started making fun of me with his friends. I've never heard what he says, thank God, but it's clear from the way he looks at my body with disgust that he's making fun of my fat. Um, from listening to your podcast and watching him a bit, I've deduced that he is into fat girls, but is ashamed of it. He flirts with conventionally attractive girls, but he never really looks at them. When he's walking past the restaurant where I work, he always looks in and he stares. Plus, he comes there fairly frequently, like several times a week. Um, I've always had a problem with self-confidence, but in the past year, I've lost almost 50 pounds, and I've been feeling great about myself. I'm never intimidated by anyone anymore, and I feel confident speaking to anyone. But when I see him do that, um, I feel ashamed and humiliated, which I know is what he wants. I hate this guy so much. I hate him for having to hurt me, someone he's never even spoken to, who hasn't done anything to him ever, and he won't go away. There's nothing I can do to stop him from coming to my work and behaving like a jackass. I want to hurt him so badly. I want to humiliate him in front of his friends or privately, but honestly, I don't think that I could willfully humiliate someone like that. I just want him to go away. What do I do? Twist and toss. Another one. I, this is the misandry 
show today. I guess we're doing a parade of uh, hetero male douchebags that uh, whose testicles we want to tear off. I just have a whole lot of things I want to say to this woman, and the first one is um, separate from the issue that you're specifically having. Way to go to take care of your body and do what you feel like you need to do with your body. And I'm really happy to hear that you're feeling more confident. And I really hope that – and it sounds like you're young. You're in college. I'm just listening to your voice. Um, and what I hope is that no matter what happens to the shape of your body over time, that that confidence just continues to grow because it shouldn't be connected to the size your body is. It should be connected to who you are and the fact that you're awesome. And and that – I think the fact that you're feeling better about yourself is one of the things that's letting you call the show. I think it's one of the things that's letting you say that you hate him. I think it's one of the things that's letting you be mad about it, as you should be. And you need to really keep that confidence and keep it moving and stay in that place because this guy's being a dick. And he's obviously – what I'm hearing from, from what you're saying, he sounds like he's got huge shame about what he wants and – He's making you pay for that and that's not his right. He's, that is unacceptable and I think what you should do is you should tell your boss where you are that this guy's stalking you and that it's it's a, an unsafe situation. If you feel like this is something you can do at your work but I think you should tell your boss and identify the guy to the boss and say that this is an unsafe situation because sometimes you don't have control when you're working somewhere that you can't you can't be rude to a client but if if it seems like it's a dangerous situation I think it's it, that's fine and if that makes him not not able to come in that restaurant – Awesome. You he, know, I think she should confront him in a public place in front of a lot of people. Well, I was that was the first one was tell your boss. The other one is tell all your friends this is going on. And if you, I know you said you may not have it in you for a, a good public humiliation, but if you're on a college campus, I say you do a little leafleting campaign where you talk <laughs> to your friends. I am serious as a heart attack. You like make yourself some flyers that like names this guy's name. Don't put anything that identifies you on it, but names his name, says what he's doing, and just print tear yourself him apart. Tear him apart and. We paste those things up or staple them to posts, and it's just like give him a little taste of being watched and exposed because he reminds he's full of me, crap. And what he's doing reminds me of this guy that I dated in college, first year, who was bi and closeted. Nobody knew he was dating a dude, and he was the faggiest fucking thing that walked. And he would make obnoxious belittling comments about me being gay in front of other people. Usually right after we fucked. Because he was chock full of shame. Because he was chock full of shame and he was an asshole about it. And I was so sort of like into him and forgiving and, and weirdly conflicted and still wrestling like with my own residual self-hatred and homophobia that I let this go on and on until one day I just snapped and started saying – basically detailing our sex life and outing him as Good. bi and a cocksucker. And nobody believed he was even straight and I certainly didn't get that impression in front of a large group of people in an elevator. Brilliant. That was the brilliant part. The, brilliant. the doors had closed Trapped. and I just started yelling at him. And I feel – and at that moment, he revealed himself to be the cowardly little piece of shit that he was. He just crumpled. And I think that he is that cowardly piece of shit. He is – he, what he's doing is relying on her sense of what's decent and fair because he's indecent and unfair. He broke to the restrain rules. restrain her from lashing into him the way he's attempting to lash into her. And if she pierces that, if she throws back at him, he will crumple like the piece of shit, coward, shame-ridden bully that he is. I was just going to say, the sooner that you take down a bully, or the sooner that you get in that bully's face, the sooner you're going to stop taking it from any other bully for the rest of your life, and the sooner that bully's going to... It was gonna... a watershed moment for me when I, I went after that guy. And I think that... 
if he comes into the place where she works and he says something snide to friends, I think she looks him right in the eye and she says, fuck you, you fucking asshole bigot. Fuck what you're doing to me. What, the way you treat women, I see the way you look at skinny girls. You're not into skinny girls. You want what I got and you're ashamed. You don't want your fucking friends here to know that you're into fat girls. Well, here's and you the thing. just fucking blow up in his face. And the thing is, you can't do that at work because you'll lose your job. I'm just Some saying. Some are worth losing. But I'm just saying. Some but that's why losing. you tell your boss and you go have that conversation on the sidewalk and you tell him to fuck off. Now you got to have it in front of his friends. In front of his friends, but not in the restaurant. In the restaurant. But you can have it in the restaurant after you tell your boss because then you can go okay, to your boss after and say, you tell I your just boss. snapped. You know what's been going on and I'm really sorry. La, 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 la. Never put him in my section again. Whatever. But you got to deck this fucker. Absolutely. Take home message. Let him have it in public. Twist and toss. In the snow. And when you do it, please call back because we're going to want to hear – how it went, we're going to want to hear about this asshole piece of shit shattering. Hi, Dan. My name is Aubrey, and I am an adult baby. Um, and being 18, I think I'm really lucky to have already realized this. But oh, if this comes with being 18, I have a roommate, which means I cannot live out my fetish. And it is really starting to bug me. Um... As soon as I turned 18, I moved out of my house, uh, and being free of my parents, I have been able to go out and buy diapers and buy other baby garb uh, with which to express myself in. But having somebody in the house and being constantly worried that if they find out something terrible could happen, um, it, it's kind of even harder than with my parents. And part of me just wants to tell her, but I don't know if that would ruin things. So I, I don't know if I should move out or if I should tell her and deal with the consequences or I don't know. I don't know if I have any other options. I suppose this is as good a time as any Mary to tell you that I am an adult baby. That's too much information, Dan. I need to not know that about you. Now I feel uncomfortable and I don't want to be your roommate anymore. Much less in this tiny little enclosed space with me. Um, don't tell your roommate. They don't need to know this unless you want her to change your diapers or she's volunteer or you guys have some sort of sexual connection. You don't need to tell her about your fetishes. I know unless roommates in quotes like my roommate. <laughs> Which it isn't. <laughs> Which it isn't. So I want you to be proud and own your sexual fetishes, but there are people who need to know and people who don't need to know. And part of being an adult is telling the difference between those people. People, you know, sometimes people will be burdened by that knowledge. If your roommate liked to eat her own poop in the shower in the morning because it turned her on, would you want to know? And also your roommate would probably be able to keep you from being able to find that out. So I think that there are things that come with being an adult, and this is another boundary issue. When you're adult and you have a fetish that's specific, you might be living with other people, but just like you wouldn't have sex on the dining room table when the person's probably going to be having breakfast, you don't want to like get in their cornflakes, you can also probably keep the diaper baby garb thing in a place that feels like it's about your life and not about your roommate. I was screaming inside for much of this call, so maybe I didn't hear her say this. Did she say she was having trouble like keeping her adult baby paraphernalia around because she had roommates? She was worried about being found out? She was afraid she would be discovered. That's what a locking footlocker is all about. Exactly. You go to, what is that, storables, those... Yes, there are lots of storage and organizing items that you could use to organize we, your baby. There's items. a store. I was just in it, and they had all these locking footlocker things for the That's end perfect. of your bed. 
your diapers will fit in a yes. locking footlocker. You can haul them out and pee your pants when well, the roommate isn't is, there. Maybe this is more of a sort of um, broader lifestyle as opposed to just when somebody's like somebody's over for a date. He might be like, I want to live like this all the time. And she's In which case you need your own apartment. In which case you need your own place. And it may be just one of those things like as you could not do this around your parents, you can't do this around a roommate. And when you're 18, those are the things you're learning is what does it mean to live around another person who is not in your family? One of those boundaries, unless they're your lover or somebody who's deeply in touch with this part of you, is that things are private and you keep them to yourself. And that's not about shame. Diaper time is private time. Decency. How beautiful is it that we live in a world right now where an 18-year-old can be in touch with the fact that she's an adult baby? I mean, when I was 18, I didn't even have – like I barely had my driver's license. (laughs) You know, my concerns were much less sort of integrated and – so yeah, I mean, so props to you for, for owning yourself. your fetish, for knowing yourself sexually, for knowing what you like, and you're trying to figure out how to integrate this into your life now that you're on your own. So we don't want to come down too hard on you, but you do have a little blind spot on the who needs to know and who doesn't need to know. Yes. Hi there, Dan. So here's something that happened. Uh, my girlfriend and I uh, just moved into a new studio in Hell's Kitchen in New York. And it's the kind of studio where uh, the windows look out onto other windows. There's about a, you know, 20 feet between us and the other apartments. So uh, one evening we're having sex, and uh, we don't realize that the blinds are open until we're done having sex. And um, when we're all done, we're sitting on the bed, and my girlfriend looks out the window. And she's like, oh, God, our neighbor's looking at us. And I look out, and he's looking at us. And usually when you when you see somebody having sex, you sort of like look, and then when they see you, you turn away. But this guy just kept staring at us and uh, really kind of, uh, kind of creeped us out. We're both naked, so I, you know, I, I'm waiting for him to, like, turn away so I can stand up and put my pants on. He doesn't, so I have to walk over to the blinds naked and close the blinds. So my question is, I'm not a very confrontational person, and neither is she, but I'm wondering if we should have confronted him then, like, hey, dude, why were you staying? Why don't you not ever do that again? Sorry, we left the blinds open. Or if we should just do what we've done, which is nothing. Because, like, now, you know, she's kind of creeped out, and, you know, we're in Hell's Kitchen, so I'm like, oh, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Uh, he's probably looking at me. Um, which I just said to make her feel better. I don't honestly know. So we have some friends in the building, and they're like, oh, yeah, I don't know. He's a, he's apparently a, a drug dealer, and uh, so there's that also. Um, but she's really creeped out, and I'm wondering what I should do at this point. We're going to let Mary speak to this one, but I always err on the side of potentially explosive confrontations with neighborhood drug dealers. But that's just me. <laughs> Particularly when I'm the one who made the mistake of not shutting the fucking blinds if I have a problem being stared at while I fuck. And I made the mistake and I got stared at. I always go for the uh, confrontation with the drug dealer. As someone who's lived in New York, I just want to say, yeah, if there's someone who's giving you a creepy vibe and he's a drug dealer and he lives close (laughs) to your house and he doesn't seem to have good boundaries, yeah, I might be going and telling him to stop looking at me. I might suggest if you're that (laughs) non-confrontational, moving to Connecticut. (laughs) 
Dude, just pull your blinds. Pull your blinds. Pull your blinds. You made the mistake. You guys fucked with your blinds open in New York City where that is an open invitation to stare. That is, I am putting on a show. There's no reasonable expectation. That's cable. There's no reasonable expectation of privacy if you are fucking in front of a window that is open, no blinds in New York City. Somebody is watching. And so it was the neighborhood drug dealer, and he stared and let you know that he wasn't embarrassed to be caught staring. And and just because he's the neighborhood drug dealer doesn't mean he's necessarily bad or violent. There's lots Absolutely. of perfectly friendly drug dealers in New York City. I've True. met a few. Met a few. In time, my time. Yes. I wouldn't assume that he's going to do you violence, but even so, even if he was the nicest drug dealer in New York. Don't confront him. Don't confront him because you were so stupid as to leave the blinds open while you fucked. And also being creeped out by people in New York is part of living in New York. You'll, <laughs> basically, you'll just eternally be creeped out by somebody. So you might want to just roll with that feeling. Hi, Dan. I'm a 32-year-old female and I have a problem. My boyfriend doesn't have as high as a libido that I do. And I am often begging him for sex. Um, oftentimes I feel like I have to wait until he's ready to have sex. And when we're not having sex, he's often masturbating to porn. And I tend to get jealous because of that. I'm wondering what I can do. Um, there hasn't been any offering of me having sex outside of the relationship. Um, and I'm wondering if I have the right to tell my boyfriend not to masturbate if we haven't had enough enough sex together. Please let me know. Thanks. There's been no offering, no no burnt offering, no sacrificial offering. You have the right to ask him to stop beating off. I don't think that that's going to get you what you want. It's not going to raise his libido. It's not going to solve this problem, whatever the problem is and why he's – beating off and neglecting you sexually, there's something else at work there. There's something going on. There's something, I mean, either he's not sexually attracted to you or he just really likes pornography and that's and likes way, his alone time. That's what he like that's how he likes to have sex. And if that's how he likes to have sex and you like to have sex with him or other people, then you guys aren't each getting sex from each other in a way that's satisfying, so maybe you're not and you shouldn't hang back couple. and don't hang back and wait for him to make an offering of an open relationship yeah. to you because you're unsatisfied. If that's what you want, you, you need to make a for it. demand. My needs are not being met in this relationship sexually. I want to stay with you. Here is how I could stay with you if we structured our sexual relationship in this way where you have your pornography and me when you want it and I have you when you want me and I have anybody else I care to fuck in the interim. Deal? And then see what he says. So that we can each be having the sex we want to have. Right. And each be satisfied and together. But you can't right. be together with you being so unhappy and neglected and dissatisfied. Not quite a twist and toss? No. Into the snow? Well, I think she needs to twist off a little courage and toss it out there what she wants. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, I want to say we're torturing this metaphor, but that doesn't quite cover it when you're talking about Well, the word Yankee torture somewhere. is apt. <laughs> Hi, Dan. Um... This is the uh, big lesbo from as episode 166 um, who called asking your advice on how to come out to my parents. Well, um, I just wanted to give you a quick call and say thank you because um, I did it. I told my mom and it wasn't a disaster. There was no tantrum. Nobody yelled. Nobody screamed. Um, I cried. She cried. It was all very hallmark and wonderful. And she said she had already known 
and was just waiting for me to tell her. And, um, yeah, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So I just wanted to kind of give you a little bit of credit for that because I think talking to you was kind of the, um, the verbal kick in the ass that I needed to just fucking do it. And so thank you. Thanks very much for your feedback. Uh, her original call, if anyone's curious to go back and listen to it, was uh, in podcast episode 166. She's the 25-year-old lesbian living at home with mom and stepdad and wondering whether to come out or not. Obviously, she came out, went well. I get all the credit. This is just like Glee when Kurt came out and his dad already knew. <laughs> Do you like Glee? I love Glee. I hate Glee. Well, it's a little forced, but and it's on at the same time as Modern Family. They're already doing stunt casting. They're doing some true? like sort of like for the jump episode. They weren't really jumping on the mattresses. Auditions all over the country. Anybody can be in Glee. It just feels no. like it's already jumping the shark. And you know well, my problem with Glee is everybody hugs, everybody learns. It's like the opposite of Seinfeld. It's like a very special episode every, every week, week. and it can't be. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I can't like it. I think this is really perverse. Actually, this is more perverse than Twist Toss. <laughs> no, that the lesbian <laughs> likes Glee, and the fag musical theater fan does I know. not like Shocking. Glee. Why won't you move back to Seattle so we can have you on the podcast every I week? want to move back to Seattle so badly. This but has been can. a most painful week because I'm just having awesome times and getting work and living large, and, and I'll be heading back to Massachusetts soon. This is Mary Martone. She and I hosted Savage Love Live a million years ago on KPL and XPAYPDQU. You might not want to say that because then that would reveal your age as being <laughs> I am over 34. a million. Oh, yes. I am 34. Indeed you are. <laughs> Eternally 34. And please note that my birthday is actually a month before Dan, so that would make me perennially that month 35 ish. 35 ish. Next time we're going to have Mary Martone on, we'll try to uh, let you guys know in advance so people can call in with special <gasps> questions for Mary Fabulous. Martone. And otherwise, we're going to have to leave it there because we're running out of internet. Some weeks we get in a lot of trouble because we talk so much we use up all the internet for the week. I know. People get so mad. They do get mad when you Crazy. use up the internet. You put something on your blog that someone thinks is silly. They yell at you for using up the internet. Blah, blah, I don't blah. understand it. It's a finite natural resource. We have to be very careful about preserving the internet for future generations. It's like you have to turn off the internet while you're brushing your teeth. <laughs> 206-201-2720 is the number here at the... New and improved with Mary Martone podcast, but just for this week only. If you have a question for a future Martone-less program, sadly, 206-201-2720. You download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com where you can read the Savage Love Letter of the Day every day I get to it. And we'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. Thank you, Mary. Oh, thanks, Dan. 